Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello writers, I'm Kat Caldwell. Welcome to Pencils and Lipstick. It is June 2nd, 2022, and it's raining cats and dogs in Virginia. Before we get into the show, let me remind you to share it with anyone who you know is a writer or likes to listen to interviews with authors and writers and anyone in the publishing business. Whatever app you're using to listen to it, I appreciate you. It's so much fun to see where you guys are listening from all over the world. Hello, Canada. Hello, Australia. Hello, Taiwan. Hello, Saudi Arabia. Hello, Hungary. And we have some people from all over the world, and it's so exciting to see that. It would be so helpful if you would share it with other people. Just let people know that you like the show. If you want to suggest somebody to come on the show or just want to reach me, you can reach me best on social media, on Twitter at Pencils Lipstick, and on Instagram at Pencils and Lipstick, all spelled out on Instagram. If you want to support the show, you can support it on Patreon or on Buy Me a Coffee. And those links are in the show notes and they're always super appreciated. I definitely drink enough coffee for probably the entire state of Virginia. So (laughs) there's that. Just a little heads up as we go into summer. Yay, summer. Although it's, I mean, it's raining, but it's actually pretty hot. So (laughs) summer has finally arrived in Virginia. My garden is beautiful. And if you don't know, I have a completely black thumb. So I'm actually surprised that my garden is beautiful. Now, all that to say, I haven't done anything really with it except for plant it and, you know, hope that the sun comes. And sometimes I water it like this morning. And then, you know, it was completely unnecessary because it just downpoured. So, (laughs) so thankfully nature is just, you know, doing what nature does. We will see so far. I think I have tons of flowers. We'll see if they actually become vegetables because last year I had flowers and then they became nothing and I don't know what happened. So anyway, so far it looks good, right? Now, the announcement is, as we go into June, that July, as usual, I will be heading over to Spain to visit my family over there. Every summer, I take my kids so that they can spend time with their grandmother and their cousins. And so the first part of the show every week will just be a pre-recorded heads up. This is pre-recorded. Let's get into the show, (laughs) pretty much. Um, I know that I usually talk to you guys about what's going on in my writing life and whatever I'm seeing in the industry. So I just want to let you know that in July, the podcast will look a little bit shorter. Definitely let me know if you just prefer to hear the interviews and you don't want to hear me chat. I want to know that. If you miss hearing me chat, I want to know that too. So uh, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Pencils Lipstick. That's probably the best place to like just tweet me and I see it right away. Also, if you you love an author and you want them on the show, let me know and I will 
send them an email and see what they say. So we have some great people coming up. I'm very excited. Today we have Amy Bernstein on the show. We're going to talk about screenwriting and then fiction writing and then nonfiction coaching. It's like she does it all. I mean, really. Um, We have Carissa Andrews coming up next week. Uh, We have RJ coming up the week after. He writes fantasy and it's pretty interesting (laughs) to hear about his fantasy because it's all sort of based on his role-playing games that he does with his family. So he has like all these characters and they're all fleshed out and it's just pretty amazing. And then to round out June, we have C.S. Lakin and she is just a fountain of knowledge. You're not going to want to miss her. So of course, as we go through, you know, the links are always in the show notes and you can always support the show on patreon.com forward slash pencils lipstick. You can also buy me a coffee, me and my editor, my amazing editor, and those links are in the show notes. But today I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the middle of the story. So we're talking about the middle of the story in my newsletter this week. And if you're not part of my newsletter and you want to be, I have two different newsletters. I have one for readers. Strictly, they just hear about what I'm reading and what I'm writing and what other people are writing. Sometimes I have like book promotions on there. But if you're a writer or you're thinking about being a writer and you want writing tips, there's also my writing newsletter and those links are below in the show notes. We're talking about the middle of the story because a lot of times people get stuck in the middle, whether actually stuck or like psychologically stuck. It can happen both ways. And I was telling my newsletter people about how I was just sort of avoiding it. I kept writing lots of words and I was just couldn't quite get to the middle. I think this happens a lot. I think this is why we call it the muddy middle because we're like slogging through trying to get there. For some reason, we're like really resistant to the middle. That's what's actually happened. We're resisting going there. It reminded me of when I was probably six years old and we lived on a farm in Wisconsin and there was a large tobacco field in our backyard. Yes. Wisconsin grows tobacco. I, it's weird. (laughs) I don't know. That's what, that's what was back there, but it was probably, it must've been the fall and there was no more tobacco there and it was just a lot of mud and it had rained like these weird downpour rains that the Midwest gets And the cousins and I decided to go out into the field. Why? I I don't know. I don't remember. But we got stuck, like really seriously stuck. Like the wood, the the mud would like make that sound when you actually got your foot out. It actually made that sound when it went in as well. and, And you couldn't quite get your foot out and it would eat your boots and it was a mess. And my brother was the smart one to stay out of it. And he was like in the yard yelling, you know, come on, the the adults are coming and we're getting all scared. And the more nervous we got, the more stuck we got. That kind of reminds me of like the middle of the story. We're just like, the more we try to get there, the more stuck we get. So I was with my homeschooler and we were looking at essay writing I mean, we were looking at tips for dyslexic kids, you know, how to get your essay done because essay writing can get pretty overwhelming for dyslexic kids because they already know that it's going to be harder for them. And so whenever we know that something's going to be harder, we resist it, right? And we're just like, 
just seems like too much. And then they can actually overwrite because they feel like they're not quite getting their, their point across. So we watched a couple of different teaching videos and a couple of them said, start in the middle. Like don't start from the beginning. Cause a lot of times you don't really know how to get to the middle, but most of the times you know what the middle should be. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. I thought, you know, why don't I just get the middle done? Because I keep trying to get to the middle, right? But instead of getting to the middle, why don't I just write the middle? And so whether or not I had gotten all the lead up in there or whether or not the scenes leading up to it were the transitions or whatever, who cares? I just need the middle. I need that fight to happen so that things can can sort of veer off from there. They can drop this way and the other things can drop that way. And I can see where I need things, other scenes to be built up, right? And so I did. I wrote the middle. And I think this is a really good point to make when you are in the first draft of the book. It is the first draft. And I know that in our industry, everyone's talking about how to write your book in six weeks and you just get it done and plop and go forward. And that might be possible for some people, especially if you're writing in a series, because most likely this book is a continuation of the last book. You already have your characters fleshed out, more or less, you don't have to start from scratch, right? But when you're starting from scratch, writing a book in six weeks, I mean, maybe you can do it if you have no other responsibilities whatsoever. But I'm not sure that it's necessarily a good thing to do because art takes time. It takes, it needs to like ferment in your brain and then on the page. And so I think it's okay for it to take less time. Not to say that I wouldn't love to like be completely finished with the story and move on. My goal is to be done with this, the first draft done um, by the time I get to Spain so that I can focus on my historical fiction, which is set in Spain. So that's obviously, you know, priority. <laughs> that is the goal. But it's also okay to like take the time, right? So you need this time. But I was pretty amazed at writing the middle scene. And granted, it's not perfect because it's first draft. Allowed me to see where I could cut off the stuff that I, I was just slogging on. It just it doesn't matter. And how I I needed to up the ante on a couple, couple scenes, how I can like merge them together. It wasn't until I wrote that scene that I saw, oh, and now we're going to really hit him. Okay, so now this happens. Oh, and now this is going to happen. And I'm just going to start whacking my protagonist over the head until he finally sees that no matter what he does, it's never going to be enough for them. And what he needs to do is start making decisions for himself, right? And to live his life and to move on and move forward and find that moment where he can forgive and accept who his mother is and be okay with it and be free to fully pursue exactly what he wants to do, that he shouldn't have put his dreams on hold. Okay, yes, all these things, right? So having written the middle first opened my eyes to seeing how much quicker I can make things happen, right? It also helped me realize 
okay, I need a calendar written out. So then I wrote out a calendar of when these things are happening because everything in this book happens within four weeks, four weeks. The loan needs to be paid in four weeks. So I'm not sure I would have really seen that had I not written the middle first. And my experiment with this book is to be able to put the draft away and come back and see what needs to be done for it to be a good book. Not just fix the sentences so that they're beautiful, but to be able to have that editor eye on my own work. And I'm not yet there, I don't think. But this is my theory is that if I put it away and if I do the right work on the draft, not that it's perfect, not that it's not missing stuff, but it doesn't matter if it's missing words as long as the story is fully developed, it's interesting, and it's a bit faster than coffee stains. I think one of my mistakes with coffee stains is that it is quite a slow book. In fact, I kind of made it a slow book because I wanted to show somebody like not being hit over the head with this realization, but slowly coming into OMG, like, what did I just do? What did I do with the last few months of my life? But in, in some readers love it and some readers don't like it. They want more fast pace. Now with this book, I want to see if I can make it faster because it all happens in four weeks, but if my brain can also more quickly analyze what needs to be fleshed out more and what doesn't. Does that make sense? So Coffee Stains took me about a year to rearrange and edit, and I want to see if I can get it done, get this one done in like a few months, possibly a few weeks. <laughs> I'm going to say possibly a few weeks. Um, so I'm trained. I'm going to try to train my editor eye on this book. I've also decided that my protagonist's name is not going to be Tread, although I really like Tread. But if I'm going to make an audiobook, I can't have Tread said a lot. I mean, that's just going to be annoying. So his name is going to be Tristan. Tristan and Talon. And, you know, Tristan will grow on me, I guess. <laughs> so those are sort of my ideas. I, I really want to challenge you if you're stuck in the middle or if you're starting a new project, try writing out the middle scene. It's not that it's going to be exactly that scene. In fact, you might think it's the middle scene and you might realize after writing it that it needs to be something completely different. But try to write that middle scene because A, it's the most exciting to write. A lot of times it's what will get you like ready to go on the story. We're always usually trying to write towards that, but what if you wrote it now and then wrote around it? I don't know. Let me know what you think about that. Have you ever written the middle scene first? Do you write all your books out of order? I don't know. I Somebody said the other day that they know someone who writes literally backwards. And I have not done that yet, but hey, if you write your books backwards, I have questions and I would, I mean, just questions, like curiosity. <laughs> so let me know if that, if you do that, but try writing the middle, especially if you're stuck. 
Um, and you might realize that all that leading up to it, you don't actually need, you know, like, especially if you're writing sentences, like he sat down and Googled, like, no, you need to cut that. <laughs> you need to cut that sentence. So today's interview is with Amy Bernstein. I think that you're going to have a lot of fun listening to her journey as a writer. You'll see that you absolutely can write a book while on um, your commute <laughs> and you being part of the art community can really influence your writing as well. And if you are a nonfiction writer and you're looking for help with your book, Amy Bernstein is going to talk about herself as a nonfiction writing coach and why she chose nonfiction instead of fiction. So I hope that you guys have a wonderful day and that you enjoy my interview with Amy. Amy Bernstein writes novels, plays, poems, and hybrid forms of fiction that explore the intersection of politics and culture. Some of her work is realistic, some is experimental. Some of it is dystopian, and some is what she calls reality fantasy. She has done many things over the years, all of them involving writing. She's a former journalist, speechwriter, communications director, and grant writing trainer. You can find Amy at amywrites.live, or if you want to connect via social media, you can find her connections in the show notes below. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. I'm Kat Caldwell, and today I have with me Amy Bernstein. Hello, Amy. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Kat. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. So you are right now in Baltimore, almost, you know, neighboring state to me. Is that where you're from? Uh, not originally, okay. but I've called at home for a couple of decades. And, and uh, Baltimore is an absolutely wonderful place to live and work. It is. It's it's very artsy, isn't it? At least it seems to me. You know what? It's got an incredible artist community. Really incredible. Yeah. Did you get there from work or just you are you from East Coast love. originally? I got here through love. Ooh, that's a beautiful <laughs> story. <laughs> so you write several different uh, in several different genres, several different styles. So will you tell us a little bit about how you came to start writing? Where did it all start? Well, you know, I make a distinction between I, I, I didn't feel that, that I could call myself a writer for most of my life until quite recently. And that's, believe me, that's quite a number of years. But the truth is, that's really what I've always done. Um, I had a career as a writer, but on the nonfiction side in journalism and government and a little bit of public affairs and a little bit of everything, speech writing. Mm -hmm. um, public radio, newspapers. Um, so I was always writing. And, and even as a kid, I think I was writing and I was an English major in college. So I was writing lots of papers, but I made a decision sometime in the last dozen years or so that life was pretty short. And that if I wanted to really quote unquote, write, mm -hmm. I had better get to it. So I kind of started myself on the, on that journey. So you went from really nonfiction writing to fiction writing? I did. Well, nonfiction paid the bills, right? right. I worked <laughs> my profession for a long time. But a couple of years ago, with support from an incredibly understanding a husband, I had the, the privilege 
of being able to finally step away from a guaranteed salary to focus on writing full time. But I was already do I was already doing it. Right. Starting with plays and then moving into to novels. And I've kind of doubled down on all of that. Interesting. So you started out with plays as your fiction medium? I did. How did you get into that? I think I interrogated myself and said, what's calling to me if I want to start writing if I want to start making stuff up, what uh-huh. is calling to me? And I thought that the structure of a play is what really pulled me at first. And I, I had completely forgotten, which will sound weird that I had forgotten. I had forgotten that when I was in middle school, early teen years, I did a tremendous amount of drama as an actor. Okay. And went to drama camp and did drama in the, this in school. And I, I think for a minute there, I thought that that's what I was going to do. Okay. And then I left it all behind for a, a lot of different reasons and kind of blocked it out. And then after I'd been starting, after I started writing plays, I suddenly, it suddenly occurred to me, why am I doing this? Oh yeah. You were a drama kid. You forgot all <laughs> about that. No wonder you're writing plays. So did you decide that you were just going to do it for your own enjoyment or did you want somebody to put the play on? Well, as, as with my books, which is what I focus on now, I don't write to shove things in a drawer. I write Mm. to share. I write to share an experience through storytelling and uh, writing a play is an incredibly interesting way to tell a story primarily through what people say and not what they do. Right. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's mostly dialogue, isn't it? It's mostly dialogue, right? Which has helped me a lot in fiction, I can tell you. Right. Yeah. So how, okay. So when you think of this, this to me is like, you know, the Spanx lady, I have an idea. Now I just go to what factory and make some that worked underwear. out pretty well for her, didn't it? <laughs> it does, but it, it did. But I was like, my mind goes, okay, what did she do in the middle? So you went from like, I'm going to write a play. How did you find somebody to put it on? Like, what was your thought process and how did that happen? It's not such a direct line. <laughs> I found a community of playwrights right in Baltimore. There are a lot of incredibly okay. talented playwrights. Yeah. So I, I started learning. Um, I also got on the board of a theater uh, a nonprofit community theater, because what I said to myself was, if I think that I want to do this type of work, I need to understand more about how theater works. Because I think, you know, as a writer, you cannot live in a hermetically sealed world. You really need to understand the world that you're operating in. And in theater, if you understand a little bit more about the the, the mechanics, okay. it helps you a lot as a writer to figure out what you can put on the stage. I mean, scripts where you can tell, you can tell when you read a play script, if someone doesn't understand how the stage works what's possible what's what's what works in terms of props what works in terms of movement what what's really realistic and so it was a a really great learning experience it really was and I did have some work produced and that was incredibly gratifying and then I, I I just realized I needed to I needed more room and time and space for more I wanted to get in characters' heads, and so I kind of started moving toward fiction. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So you would recommend if somebody wanted to do that, you really have to get involved in the the community. You have to be in that art drama community. Well, let me broaden that to say that writing is a very lonely enterprise, 
And I think that whether you're writing for the stage or 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 the page uh, or whatever, you really will benefit from meeting and talking with others in that discipline mm. who really will feed your own understanding of the work that you're doing. Right, right. So when you're writing that you you had it produced, do you get a say in how they direct it, or do you really have to write it and then hand it over to the director? And um hope that they get it right. (laughs) So doing writing for theater is extraordinarily collaborative medium, far more collaborative than fiction. Although let me back up and say that, you know, when you write a novel, you still have one or even two or sometimes three editors and a proofreader to go through. Right. And so that's collaborative too, in a different way. Mm -hmm. But when you write for theater, the, the magic about writing for theater is that with a director and a cast, you can bring to life something that was just on the page and you're putting it up on the stage in real time. And if that director and cast are bringing some ideas forward in how they interpret what you've written, it's just incredible what can happen on the stage that's not on the page. And I think that's true in fiction too. It's just different. I mean, the right editor can help you unlock something in your own work or okay. a book coach, for that matter, yeah. can unlock something in your work that takes you to another place. So it can all be collaborative. Yeah, yeah. So are you around as the the playwright? Are you around when they're putting, you know, doing the practices and things like that? Or do you like drop it off and, and leave? Well, there's very much an etiquette to that. And um, as, as a playwright, some playwrights wish to be extremely present and involved. But I have, I found through my experience that if you need to trust a director and a cast to do the work of getting to learn the play and getting it up on its feet. And that as the playwright, it's better for you to give them that space and trust Mm -hmm. in their process, which is not your process as the writer. And then you can come back in and you can answer questions. There are playwrights who are extremely involved many steps of the way. I always felt the need. It was important to trust the director and the cast to take it to a certain place and then come in and see where it was, and then we could and then we could discuss what what was going on. Yeah, I can see how a writer might be very fearful of letting it go, but at the way that you're saying it, it it would be almost more fascinating to see where they would take it, where they could move your your vision and bring it together with theirs, and sort of see where that art form in itself could move to and and become. That would be kind of cool. exactly exactly. You there's a point at which you need to trust in a process that's larger than you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause now it's, it's bringing in other art forms, right? Like the director and the actors and everyone's going to have their sort of idea. That would be pretty cool to see. <laughs> Honestly, that'd be very cool. So you went from plays and then you decided to go into novels. Is that correct? Well, uh, no. yes, there was a bit of an overlap somewhere around 2008. I was working full time. I was commuting to Washington DC from Baltimore on the train every day. So frankly, I had about three hours of train time a day. Yeah. And I said to myself, all right, you want to write a novel, write a novel. So I wrote a young adult novel, meaning a novel for teens. I wrote a lot of it on the train because I had time and quiet and opportunity. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I just knew I'm going to do tell the story and I am going to write the whole thing and I'm going to end it. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to quit. Like it wasn't an option. And I did. 
And it's a young adult book, and it's now available in, on Amazon. And it's also an audio book. And it's a kind of a, a bit of a dark story because that's kind of the way I roll. <laughs> and if I had to do it all over, I would do it completely differently. But you have to start somewhere. So I yeah. Yeah. I think that's a lot of our story. Like you get to the point as an adult where you're like, no, I'm just going to finish this thing. I don't know how many I, of us have half written things on our computers and it doesn't go with. And then there's that project that you're like, no, <laughs> this is going to be done and then we'll figure it out. And I actually love those, those first novels. I think that there's something to look back on and be like, you learn something, right? And you always go a bit forward after that. Absolutely. And there's something to be said for tackling it from a naive perspective. In other words, it's like, I, you know, I don't have an MFA and I hadn't taken courses and all this stuff. And the notion is just like, I, I think I know how to do this. I'm going to do it. I might make mistakes along the way and I may not see those mistakes, but I'm going to get this thing from beginning to middle to end. And you just kind of plow through. Yes. Yes. And then there's that other thing where when you have too many courses and you have too many voices in your head, and then you can't tap into your own creativity and your own voice. So you have to like find that middle, right? Even as you go forward. So you wrote in YA. Why did you choose YA at first? Was it just well, what the story was? Looking back, I think at the time it's because I was the mother of a teenager. That, that, um, do it. she's now all grown <laughs> up. This was some time ago. And I, I think that must have influenced me more than mm. I thought, because when I look at the book now, I can see all this sort of teen type dialogue that probably I was hearing and overhearing and not even nice, realizing, quite realizing it. It's quite genuine though, right? Because it's, yes, it's really yeah, happening. I hope so. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, but you said that it's a quite a dark story. You, why, why do you think that you tend towards the darker points of life? Is that kind of a theme for you? Yes, it really is pervasive in my fiction. I tend to bring some of the tougher stuff in life and social realism into all of my fiction. Frankly, whether I'm writing a fantasy or a mystery or romance, there's always something that's grounding it in the harder things. And I think it's because I, you know, coming out of a sort of a, a journalism background and things of this nature and my own temperament, I'm a kind of a glass half empty kind of person, not a mm -hmm. glass half full kind of person. And I think that's just going to pervade my worldview when I'm building fictional worlds. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that there can't be happy endings and redemption. And it doesn't mean that, that, that characters can experience love and joy and things of that, that nature. But I think that facing the darkness that's in all of us and the difficult things that comes up, I think that makes for very interesting reading. Right. Right. It makes, it's like, um, I, I can admire the the writers who everything is always bubbly, <laughs> but but we live near DC. And so <laughs> the reality of life is yes. kind of the reality of life right in front of us. And did you work in politics at all? You said that you were going back and forth to DC. I, I did work in government for about a dozen years. I mean, and although I was, like, I was, yeah, you with reality. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Anyway, so um, yes, we're kind of neighbors in that regard. But I, yeah, I, I think that writing in a certain way, I mean, I tend to be a little bit like that too. Like life has to have some bad things happen to the characters because otherwise I wouldn't be interested in writing them. And so that doesn't mean that, you know, the beach trees or the things like that aren't 
don't have a place, obviously it's just, I can't seem to write them. (laughs) I just can't seem to be that writer. And we need all writers, you know? So, so yeah, anyway. Um, But then you didn't stick with a genre. So that's what's interesting. And I did not know this when I started out. I I don't know if you knew it, but you know, you're supposed to stick to a genre and you're supposed to write a series. (laughs) If you tell me that I'm quote unquote supposed to do something, <laughs> you're probably not. I'm going to kind of go the other way. But you have heard this, right? This is this is what we all say. <laughs> this is old expression RTFM, which is read the effing manual. And I'm one of those people who I don't want to read the manual. No. I just want to figure it out. And you know, the manual is find ye shall find your genre. And just like go and stay, stay in your lane and, you know, all good things will come to you. And I, I've just, I guess I decided, no, I'm going to make this harder, even harder. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to skip, ar- I'm going to skip around because the truth is if, if I land on a story that I really want to tell and it really won't let go of me, I'm just going to figure out the way to tell that story. And it, it's a mystery or it's a fantasy or it's a romance or whatever it is. I'm just going to go there. Yes, we are kindred spirits as well as neighbors because I didn't know this either. <laughs> so I was like, but then how do I write the stories that are in my head if I have to choose which like which uh genre to put them in? And I had one book person be like, mm. <laughs> he just didn't right. know what to tell me. But Pick you know, another that, pen name, he said. <laughs> but it's a mar- it's a it becomes a marketing problem, right? Not right? a writing problem, it's a marketing problem. And I actually have an essay coming out sometime in the next several weeks about the rampant coding of literature. And it really is about the genrefication of fiction in particular, as there are numeric codes that you can assign to every genre and subgenre, and there's a lot of them. And really, this is for the convenience of the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. And we 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 love them and we want them to love us. But you know, as writers, we need to have the freedom to 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 go where the muse sends us. Right. Now I mean it it was never, I feel like it was never really an issue. Maybe there were some people who, you know, claim that they were sci-fi or something like that. But, you know, we were talking about women's fiction the other day and everyone seems to have a different definition of what that means. <laughs> like, does it have to have a female character? <laughs> Can it have a male character? Does it have to be written by a woman? Does it not? <laughs> and then we started looking at male authors, which I won't name some off, but they're like, okay, they, they write all different kinds of different novels. Let's see what they say they are. And they just claim novelists. And I was like, you know what? Females can be novelists too. I don't understand why all the men get this name. I so agree. I think there really is a lingering taboo and stereotype, not a taboo so much, except maybe a certain sense, but there really is that like when people say women's fiction, well, what does that mean? Does that mean could could you write a women's novel about the military? Of course you could, right? Um, or about war or something. Of course you could about about wrestling. I mean, of course you could. So what? So what makes it women's fiction? I I so agree with what you said, and I think that when look, if you look at a male author like Jonathan Franzen, who has written several amazing books, and you know, I think it's been said that he's almost like he writes quote unquote women's fiction or something, you know, is that notion of, well, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. You know? Is I it because his audience is female, right. you know, like, right. I don't understand what that means. So, right. So then, yeah, what, like you said, it becomes more a marketing problem than a writing problem, right? Because if you write a good story, it's a good story. It's just marketing your name. Correct. And the algorithms now because of Amazon. 
<laughs> those dang algorithms. So what was the next book that you write, wrote? What, what came to your head next? So it was many, many, many years after that, that YA novel. I didn't, I was, um, on wor- working on working. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta make so, money. <laughs> so it wasn't till about, I, I'm not even sure, maybe 2017. I probably, I was writing plays for a while in there and working on that. And then probably around 2017, I realized that I needed a different form to write the stories that I was really beginning to want to write. Okay. And meaning the play, it didn't fit for a play. Right. Okay. And, and it's funny because, because um, I toyed around. I, there was one thing I tried to start a screenplay and it just didn't feel, I wasn't comfortable in that mode. And that turned into a novel that has not yet been published, but I was trying to find the right place for it. Mm -hmm. And then there was another one that I was thinking would be a play. And I'm actually kind of starting a new novel that I think is better suited. So it's, it's just instinctively figuring out what's the form that serves the story. Okay. And so how did you find that? Why was it that it it wasn't working as a play? What sort of made you realize that that wasn't going to be the right for me it's and i think different writers would have different answers to this Mm -hmm. it becomes a combination of not just the number of characters but the 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 pace at which you wish to unfold the story and the degree to which you want to be in different characters heads okay and sharing that so so once you decide that you really want to be in a close third person Mm -hmm. point of view where you are essentially standing on character shoulders and able to sh- and able to share with the reader what the world looks like to that character it's not that you can't do that in a play it's just it's really different and i found myself gravitating to this other way of doing that plus I, the truth is i love description mm. i love na- i love narrative passages and description and interior interior dialogue or interior monologue, whatever you want to call it. And you can't do that. You can do other wonderful things on the stage, but you can't do that on the stage. Okay. And finally, I grew up as a reader. I mean, I was a voracious reader as a kid and I read novels. I didn't read plays. Yeah. So that's what's kind of in my head. Yeah. I think the only play I read read was Our Town. I think that that was still a mandatory. And I was in Our Town. (laughs) Right. I wonder why that became the play that all American kids had to act out or read. I don't know. It must have been, well, we won't get, I was like, somebody must have paid somebody off. (laughs) That's where my mind goes. So was that the um, mystery book that went next? Which one was it? The, the Nighthawkers? Okay. Let's see. So, so to be very real about it, let's see. I wrote a pretty long novel. I guess it's 89,000 words that has not yet been published. So that one's still, oh, okay. that's still in like the hopeful category. And then I wrote, I, I am really forgetting my own order here. Um, I think then I wrote the Petrero Complex. Okay. I love this cover. In between, somewhere in between all this, I also wrote Dreams of Song Times, which went through many, 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 many drafts. And we can talk about that or not talk about that. But then I also wrote The Nighthawkers, and that's the paranormal romance, which has its archaeology and, and you know, night di- digging at night illegally and lots of magic. And it's kind of lyrical and kind of, it, it's kind of a wonderful amalgam of things, um, oh, and kind fine. of mystical. And so it, it, things are, you know, 
they're different. Yes. And did you, you obviously wrote the Potero complex before COVID, but it's about a pandemic. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I went back to look at, to try and figure out when I started the Potero complex. And oddly enough, I believe I started it at the earliest date I could find on my computer was something like March of 2020, which of course was when the pandemic began. And um, of course it took me many, many months to, to write it. So things were unfolding at a fast Ooh. clip. And I think that there were many writers at that time processing what was going on. And um, on this one, too, I went to a pretty, a pretty dark place that, you know, uh, with the Potero complex, it has to do with um, questions about who wins and who loses when a society decides that feeling safe is more important than protecting civil rights. Mm. And, you know, it so happens that China is going through that right now. They're having yeah. severe lockdowns that are abrogating even the limited civil rights that Chinese citizens have. Right. And it's a really interesting thing to think about what if that happened here or looked like it was going to happen here. Yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting thing to to question and to be able to put it into a novel makes it a little more digestible. Right. As as the consumer, right. because it is also at its heart. A mystery to be right. solved. <laughs> Interesting. I like that. So that that's um on pre-order? Or is my... Yes. Just, the okay. Potrero Complex is from Regal House Publishing. Mm-hmm. It's on pre-order from Regal House. That information is all in my website at amywrites.live. Right. It is on pre-order on Amazon as well. And it comes out August 2. You get that published really quickly for a traditionally published novel. I mean, yeah. only two to. Well, two I guess it was accepted in in 2021. It's on the list. Well, or 2020 and on the list for 2022. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's also on um, if folks uh, review from NetGalley. It's on uh, NetGalley through mid June as well. Nice. All those people that have all the time to read because they're on the train, right? <laughs> now that we have all of our our traveling back, which is uh, going back to work, anyway. Sometimes it was nicer to be at home. <laughs> um, so you have that. That's your new one. So now you have four books, four books. Well, well, yes, but published, but you have more. The okay. YA book, which we didn't even like put the title out. It's too confusing. I mean, that's just there. It's, it's there. It's interesting. I'm not trying to like not sell my own work, but <laughs> that's the older, you know, book number one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if if anyone if anybody wants a free audio book, I have a fantastically professionally recorded audio book for that, and I can give you a code. You know, you just have to say the word. But really, I think it, the paranormal romance, which is the one that's full of all the archaeology coming out on June sixth, and the Potrero Complex, which is the mystery thriller coming out on August two, are the ones like to I would really focus on because. People don't want to hear me talk about like four different books. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you write, you were writing this, the Portrayal Complex in 2020, and then you were writing, let me pull back the other way. And then you were writing the Nighthawkers at the same time? You wrote it at the, wow. Okay. So you write different genres and at the same time. No, definitely not at the same time. It was definitely (laughs) sequential. And to be very honest, again, because I really believe in keeping it real about these things, I'm my writing has slowed way, way down. I seem to have gone through this intense writing period, and now 
it's taking me a long time to kind of really get into something new. Okay. So, you know, it comes in, it comes in waves. It definitely does because then you have to sort of find some other inspiration and yeah, it, it just happens sometimes. So you, so it looks like you are a super prolific. This happens. My mother bu- downloaded like a book and then another book came out and she's like, there's no way that this author is writing it this quickly. So no, right. mom, <laughs> they were already written. They're just coming out now. You know, she's like, I don't know if I want to buy it. Cause if they're writing that quickly, it's going to be full of errors. Like, no, no, it's just, it's just that it's coming out now that sometimes and we caught the errors. <laughs> yes, we did definitely catch yours. So uh, what was it like? Um, you're traditionally published. How was, did you find an agent for that or did you go straight to the publishers? No, I do. I do not have an agent. And, 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 you know, I would still like that to happen someday, but I have to say that I have, I'm working with Regal House Publishing and um, the Wild Rose Press. And, you know, they're really quite, they're really quite wonderful. And, you know, authors can be happy going directly with the traditional publishing route. Mm -hmm. Uh, Agents are wonderful and do wonderful things for their writers. And so I would never mean to imply that, you know, we should, we should cut them out of that process. But if you don't have an agent, I really would want writers to know that there are many really good publishers who are hungry for good manuscripts and they will take you through a very professional editing process and give you a fantastic cover and help to help to promote your book. I, with the mm. word on help, authors mm-hmm. do have to promote their books, uh, but it it is definitely a very satisfying way to go, and I'm I'm very happy that that that's where I've landed. I'm glad that you're having a good um, experience with it, because in the indie author world, you can sometimes only focus on the bad stories, and it just can't be true that that's it's only bad because otherwise people wouldn't wouldn't traditionally publish. So I'm glad to hear that you're having a good experience with it. How did you find those two different presses and why are they two different? Is that because of the different genres? Correct. Because okay. the genres are so different. So the Potero complex, I actually submitted to uh, an annual contest that Regal House uh, uh, sponsors. And I was a finalist for the Petrocor prize to my absolute astonishment. That's wonderful. And because they liked the book and, and I was a finalist, they said, we want to publish. So that was, that was one route. So, you know, never shy away from submitting to some of the more credible manuscript contests because they really can legitimately help you. The Wild Rose Press was a very deliberate pursuit on my part. Once I had written the romance book, uh, I really wanted um, a reputable romance indie press. And they are very, very supportive of their authors and the Wild Rose Press authors really lift one another up as well. So it's a very friendly place to be with uh, very responsive editors. And so I was really happy that I was able to to land to land there with them. Yeah, absolutely. So just for anyone who's thinking of of going that route, do you did you get it edited before? How much work did you do on the manuscript before you really knew that it was at the point where you could send it out right. confidently? Right. You know, and that's such an important question. And what I always say is that this is an area where I have not followed best practices. So best practices are that as, a, as an independent author, meaning you're, you're not yet an agented author, mm-hmm. you should absolutely, once you've completed your manuscript, you should find beta readers, which means not your sister, not your brother, not your cousin, <laughs> not your mother. Uh, it means folks who um, can give you a really constructive, independent 
feedback on your manuscript and what draws them in and what is perhaps uh, puzzling or troubling them mm-hmm. or where they may have kind of fallen away or lost interest. You want some really honest feedback from beta readers. I didn't do any beta readers. Okay. That is a best practice. I ignored it. Many people also do uh, invest in an independent editor. Mm-hmm. So, and there are many, many, so many good editors out there who will basically read your whole manuscript and tell you where your continuity is not, is not working, where, you know, you said one thing happened at night, but then the scene is recreated during the day where you changed the character's uh, name. The editors can do so much for you in advance as well to make sure that your grammar is correct, that you are, are handling dialogue and punctuation and paragraph breaks correctly, all those kinds of things. I didn't do that either. I just basically whipped my drafts into the best possible shape that I could and sent them into the world. That's that's all I can say. But do you think that confidence comes a little bit from how much writing you've done in your life? I mean, your grammar must be pretty good. I mean, I know most uh, journalists have to have to sort of catch all their mistakes. They're the ones at self-editing, right? Um, you you have to be pretty good handing in pretty pretty clean drafts. Is that true? I, I I guess overall the answer is yes. I mm. think that I understand. Uh, I've done a lot of writing, and I think that I do understand a lot of the fundamentals. That doesn't mean that my books would not have been become better had I not forced myself through those other processes, beta readers, and even an independent editor. And look again, I, I keep saying it, but keeping keeping it really real, the novel that I've not yet published probably needs, probably needs to go through that ringer. I just have to be ready to take it there. Right. Right. Yes. And, and you know what, sometimes it's hard to know because sometimes you can get beta readers who you will feel like you have, you still have to make a choice. Are they changing the story or do you want, you know, where do you want to draw that line? And, it's a creative process, right? So you kind of have to figure out what works for you. And I would say if a traditionally published, um, a traditional publisher wants to publish, they know what they're doing. They want to make money with you. So it must be, must be pretty right. good. You must they want to make money. They're not going to sign a contract with you if they don't think that they can help, help sell books or help you sell books or that you can help them sell books. <laughs> exactly. Helping is all about helping. But you know, and again, I'll just come back to this notion of, you know, working with a book coach, particularly a book coach who has been certified is incredibly helpful for a fiction or a nonfiction writer, because you're going to get someone who's not focused on your line edits, but is really focused on taking you through the journey about the structure and what the story is really, is how the story is really unfolding and okay. where it may be weak and where you can maybe deepen and improve it and really helping you through kind of a blueprint for your book. It's an incredibly valuable thing to do. And a beta reader is lovely, but that's really just a reader. A mm-hmm. book coach is someone who's going to be with you kind of through through the long haul and, and help you get your draft to be uh, in the best shape that it can be. Right, right. They're more professional, I guess, that they would know, not just tell you what's wrong, but help you fix it, which, which a yeah. reader can't always do. Right, because the book coach really is a champion, but also will okay. hold you accountable and will oh. also give you structure and guardrails and specific tools to help you work through your own thought process. I mean, writing could be like in the, a wilderness kind of an exercise and you can yeah. write yourself into corners and write yourself, you know, in, in off the map, so to speak. 
And a coach will really help you get centered in what you're trying to accomplish in that, in that work. Right. Right. So when you, um, you're a book coach, you're a nonfiction book coach. Right. Why did you choose nonfiction? Two reasons. One, I have a very extensive professional background as a nonfiction writer in Mm -hmm. journalism and a lot of complicated government stuff. And really I've done so much in nonfiction, except for literally write a nonfiction book. I mean, I've been a, I've been a book reviewer and I've written uh, congressional testimony and executive speeches and uh, I've done uh, PR and media and journalism for print and public radio. So I've done a lot Mm -hmm. in the nonfiction side, but I'm a novelist. So I understand storytelling and the power of storytelling. So for me, it's about bringing those things together. And I really want to work with, as I put it, the nerds and the wonks who have a passion to share information with the world and need someone to help them figure out how to, to put some structure and parameters around, around doing that. And also because I'm writing fiction, I don't want to coach fiction. Mm. It's a, uh, it's psychologically uh, confusing to me. Okay. That's why I've made that separation. On a, as a nonfiction, do you, do you focus on something? Do you focus on memoirs or on, on business or do you? Right. I, I actually prefer not to work in memoir. Mm-hmm. And there are many incredible coaches who are doing amazing work with memoir. Um, th- the rules for memoir tend to follow the rules for fiction writing more than they do than for the rules for nonfiction. Okay. Because a lot of it is about, you know, what we call refer to the arc of change okay. and things that are really important in fiction. And uh, it's so important to build scenes and to build momentum in, in, in memoir. I actually want to work with entrepreneurs and physicists and engineers and architects and archaeologists and folks who are coming from the sciences and humanities and trying to wrap their heads around the story that they have to tell wow. that might involve some complex technical stuff because I've dealt with a lot of really technical stuff in the past and I love helping to sort of make that come clear. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can see how a scientific mind might sit in front of their computer and say, how would I write a book about this so that people understand me? That's amazing. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, nonfiction can be intimidating to read, um, but there's so many interesting things out there. So if if there are people like you willing to coach them into writing a book that people like me with very little scientific <laughs> background can understand, I would exactly. love that. Just you, you have a reader right here that that would appreciate it. <laughs> putting out, putting it out to the universe. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, whether it's book coaching or learn more about your books. They can go to amywrites.live. Is that the best place to find you? That's absolutely the best place because I've got all the info about all the novels and there's a tab that will tell you enough about the book coaching to send you someplace else if that's what you're interested in. But amywrites.live is the, is the place to start for sure. So this is your thing now. You are a fiction writer and a nonfiction coach. That's that's my thing. Those are my things. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for coming on to the show. Pat, this has been just a pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation so much. And thank you so much for for having me and for uh, asking such interesting questions.
you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.